0: Destination weddings are the perfect mix of business and pleasure. Not only are they often fun to do, but they can be very lucrative as well. The markets in Mexico, Caribbean, Hawaii, and Europe are sizable and getting bigger. But how do you tap into them? In this week's episode of Own Your Business, I talk with Destination I Do founder and editor, Jennifer Stein. She's going to share insights and perspectives that will get you more inquiries from destination clients. Build content to attract couples in locations you want to work. Show you how to reach out to referrals and give insights into a post-pandemic destination wedding market. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one. Because we aren't born knowing everything like you i had experts who showed me the way when i was starting out and when i was ready to level up i hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business well thank you jennifer for joining me on today's podcast i am super excited we were chatting just before we got on about how sometimes i know a lot of the answers to the questions uh, but it's good to get a fresh perspective and to have the audience hear somebody else's opinion on things. I'm genuinely interested in what you have to say on a lot of the questions that I've given you ahead of time because I'm gonna learn a ton and I'm super excited for the audience to get that information as well. So thanks for taking some time out of your schedule. I know you've got a lot going on.
1: Oh, of course. And now the pressure's on, Sam. Like, put it on there. I hope I teach you something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you always do every time we talk. Now, you and I have known each other for, gosh, going back maybe seven, eight, nine years. Uh, yeah. We tend to run into each other at uh, Engage specifically and, and other professional uh, uh, networking and conferences. Uh, but for those of you who don't know you, I'd love for you just to share a little bit of background on your connection with the wedding industry and, and, and what you do day in, day out with. Uh, couples and wedding pros.
1: Yeah, so I started many, many moons ago. I won't give you the exact date, but in college I was a wedding planner. (laughs) And At a golf course that I worked at, and so that was my like very first introduction to the wedding industry and uh, From there, I started working at a publishing company uh, that was here based in Arizona, and I fell madly in love with publishing and so after about five years there, in two thousand and four, I launched destination I do along with my business partner and you know from there it's been eighteen plus years, and I'm the editor in chief. And owner of Destination I do, and so all of what we do is destination wedding, honeymoon, romance, travel. That's basically what we feature. And so our reader is the destin- the engaged destination wedding couple. And so we work with a lot of photographers, wedding planners, venues, um, not only to market and advertise their businesses, but also to you know interview them as experts on our podcast, on our website. We honestly rely heavily on the expertise of the vendors that are out there doing these destination weddings. And when we started this business 18 plus years ago now, destination weddings looked very, very different. I mean, we're talking all-inclusive packages, um, Vegas elopements. They were not nearly the events that like you see today. I mean, today it's, it's so much detail, so much um, personality people are going all over the world they're not just going to Vegas to elope although they're still doing that um, it's the bedrock of the destination wedding industry So you know it's it really it really does look so different Sam it's
0: crazy well. I love that, and you know, I, uh, before we get into the meat of this, and I do have a real question. Uh, did you know that I actually wrote for a magazine in Arizona in 2001? It was my first job out of college. It was Arizona Foothills Magazine. Oh my
1: god, it's still around. Or I think it's now- still around. Yeah, it is. It is. Like I've I've seen it. I've read it. I've had it delivered to my mailbox. So look at you. <laughs>
0: I have I have some clippings from way back when, and, uh, and and I remember I wrote a feature article on the the rise of digital cameras. Uh, that's oh, that's, that's how long ago that was. Um, but who knows? Maybe maybe I just got the wrong magazine, and I could have gotten to publishing with you if I would have hey, that found, found been the good. right one.
1: We would have done well <laughs> together. I bet.
0: I think we would. I think we would have. Well, so uh, let's get back to the you know your understanding of what's going on in the destination market. One of the reasons why I wanted to have you on rather than a a vendor in in particular is because I feel like you've got a good pulse on so much of the marketplace. And I would imagine that you conduct a lot of market research or at least have a lot of understanding for your advertisers uh, on who reads your magazine. And it's really a, a, a wide swath of people who are looking at destination events. What can you tell us about the kind of couple that books a destination wedding?
1: Well, oftentimes they are, you know, there are people who love to travel. They want to experience other places. Um, Oftentimes they've moved away from home. And so, you know, for the younger, the younger reader, they've moved away from home. And so a destination wedding, kind of why they've chosen it, is because they'd have to travel back home for their wedding anyway. Uh, and so it kind of creates a neutral ground for the couple that you're not choosing their hometown or your hometown. And so it also gives, if everybody would have to travel to you to where you're now located, why not go somewhere exciting? I mean, if you live in like Detroit, no offense, Detroit, but I mean, uh, why not go someplace that's got, you know, castles or a rain? forest or you know, whatever. So a lot of a lot of couples, it it just makes sense to do a destination wedding. A lot of them have chosen it because it's a good way to pare down the guest list. They're the one footing the bill. And so they don't necessarily want one of their parents' friends they've met one time to be invited. And so for them they're like, you know, let's do a destination wedding because the guest is much less likely to travel to the destination if they hardly know you. It's it's a commitment for the guest. It's an expense for hotels, their travel, time away from work. And so Having that smaller guest list makes a lot of sense for people. Um, And they also want like that experiential travel experience. Experiential was a buzzword in 2019 and it's not going away. (laughs) It's 2022 and it's alive and well. Uh, So these couples want to experience the destination that they're in with their group. So they're doing a lot of like pre and post activities. Um, They're doing catamaran tours with their group. They're, uh, you know, helping people extend their stay way past the wedding. It's not just about that one event. It's about the entire experience. They want way more than a chicken dinner in a ballroom experience.
0: I mean, you're talking and I'm like this I want to do this somebody invite me to a destination wedding we're actually going to uh, one of our mutual friends weddings down in uh, Mexico uh, next week and it's that's exactly what what's happening uh, yeah. Katie and I we had a, a, a an elopement a micro wedding with just our kids and a couple of friends who married us uh, in Oregon uh, but we had actually planned something in Costa Rica that's we had oh, a catamaran. like you know we had the whole thing Kind of set up my brother and his his wife. They got married in Majorca. Uh, exact same thing. Uh, you know, I worked at a destination venue, a regional destination venue on an island in one of the top destinations in the Pacific Northwest, San Juan Islands, and 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 all the things you described or what it is that we saw our our couples do. I think you know to tie it in to uh, anybody who's listened to me talk about the 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 reasons why people buy is that we're all driven by some sort of underlying psychological motivation and you know what i learned in my applied behavioral economics program are the, there are these nine core motivators And out of the nine, I found four that are uh, predominant in the wedding industry. Uh, Belonging, which is a connection with with other people. Uh, Mm -hmm. Autonomy, which is uh, freedom and independence to do things your way whenever you want to do them with whomever you want. Uh, There's also esteem, which is recognition from others. And then engagement, which is to indulge in life's pleasures. Mm -hmm. and. If you go through and you think about somebody who's motivated by engagement, the things that they want to do are push pause on daily life and create an opportunity to engage with the world around them, with the cultures, with the the people that they love and care about the most, with activities, mm-hmm. uh, with things that excite the senses. And right. so you go through and, like I'm listening to you talk about who the destination couple is, and it's somebody who is motivated by engagement. They want to push pause, not just on their life, but all of their friends and families and go, hey, we're going to create this fantasy land for us to have fun and connect with for two, three, four days, and we're going to be able to look back on those memories and relive them for years to come. That is what a destination wedding has really turned into.
1: Oh, it totally has. I mean, before it was just really the wedding event, sometimes the rehearsal dinner, played a part now rehearsal dinners have as much pomp and circumstance as the wedding themselves. You know, it's like it's just amazing to me how much is going into these pre and post events and how much of a bond is formed for the group. I mean, when we did a destination wedding 17 years ago, my husband and I, it's been a minute, been married a minute. Um <laughs> we we really we didn't realize it at the time, but All of what we created at the time was not really what was happening. You know, 17 years ago, it was you did the wedding. There was rehearsal dinner for most of the out-of-town guests, maybe a farewell brunch. We had an entire week of group activities. We were doing surf lessons. A group of us went to Disneyland. There was golf, spa. I mean, you name it. We did all. We had a luau. Like, it was it was, there wasn't something every single day, there was an optional activity every single day, depending on when people were coming or going. Some people just did the weekend, other people did the whole week. And so for us, and we had a professional photographer with us for much, much of it. And so now that's what, that's almost like the norm now before that was like, kind of, right, un- that
0: was like a prototype.
1: That was the prototype. So, um, you know, and now that, that is, that is what people are wanting to experience. And so that's why it's, great to have a smaller group because it's easier logistically to get from one place to another. And, you know, we saw with the pandemic, things kind of shifted to a smaller group. And we'll talk about that in a minute about what's happening in the future. But, you know, it it does logistically make a lot of sense. It also allows that budget to go a little further. Um, When we, before the pandemic, people were spending about $1,000 per guest for a destination wedding. Now it's more like, 1250 1500 a guest. And that's, that's about average. Uh, so you just multiply that by the number of guests, and that's most likely what your budget's going to be.
0: And what's interesting about that is that it's going more towards experiences mm-hmm. rather than decor. There's, mm-hmm. And there's a couple of things in there that I just want to kind of pull out and hopefully make the connection for wedding pros who are listening with what you're describing and what they need to do to sell first of all you're selling an experience not the the decor or not the actual features of your event you're you're helping them get that kind of experience that they want and and that's what you're really designing there's also more than one day to think about when you're trying to pitch somebody on your services you said we had a professional photographer follow us around for most of the week so if yeah. you are trying to sell your services for photography or, or videography you're not Pitching one day's worth oh. of coverage, you're pitching. I'm going to tell the like a, almost more like a lifestyle uh, approach to your event. It's not going to be just the wedding day, it's going to be the whole week. It's going to tell the, the narrative of the week. And so uh, if you're doing stationery or paper goods, you, you're you're helping them provide invitations and uh, personal branding for an entire you know, experience that involves arrival at the hotel and transportation to and from events and, you know, pre-parties and post-parties. It's not just an invitation suite. So whatever it is that you're doing with destination events, you've got to remember that you're selling an entirely different thing than if you're selling a ballroom wedding down the hall that people are going to just on Saturday afternoon and evening.
1: Right. And decor is important for sure. I mean, I definitely think that there's, you know, the budget is stretched with some of the experiential things where it isn't in a hometown wedding because they're not doing those things. And so maybe they're, you know, putting in more, you know, uh ceiling arrangements and things like that, but it, it does, it does make sense that vendors are really focused. Like you said, on that experiential, I mean, the fact that you brought up stationary. There is so much opportunity with stationary at a destination wedding because so many clients are wanting welcome bags and there's stationary that can be included in that. There's, you know, and that also helps the planner. Those are add-ons. Those are things that they can be bringing in to help drive more revenue, but also service their client in the proper way. And in a way that's going to benefit the entire group because when you're benefiting The couple, obviously, that's your client, but you have other clients that are a captive audience that you wouldn't necessarily have otherwise, right? So if you're, say, a travel agent and you have an opportunity to, you know, get that group business where you're getting them from the uh, airport to the resort and then to a catamaran tour and then you're booking their flights and you're booking uh, inner island flights or whatever the case may be, depending on the destination, you have the ability then to impress the shit out of them so that they come back and use you for their own personal travel or they use you for their daughter's destination wedding that's two years from now because you did such a great job of remembering you. So you have this captive audience and an opportunity to sell way past the client that you're currently working with.
0: I think that's such good advice because there's more touch points too for you over the course of number of days or number of events. And also the guest is more involved in the experience of attending the event and and they they get caught up in it and wrapped up in it. And it's like they forget about the other stuff. I feel like sometimes, and and I used to sell, I used to use this as a sales line when I would uh, sell for the, the destination venue in the Northwest, is that you know this is the kind of event where people don't just what you know, set an alarm thirty minutes before the ceremony, you, you know, throw a suit on, go out, get some free food and booze, dance a little bit, and then head back home and watch, you know, sitcom reruns. Right? <laughs> like like that's what it used that that's what a, a, a typical wedding could be like in your hometown. These people are invested who are attending a destination wedding. Yeah. They're 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 spending a day to travel, day to travel back. They're spending thousands of dollars on flights and hotels and rental cars or whatever it may be. You know they, they want to be involved. They want to understand what's going on and they're paying more attention to what's happening for a longer period of time.
1: Right. And their expectations are there. I mean, they, they may not think it overtly, but subconsciously they're going, I'm putting a lot of investment into attending your wedding. I really hope that I get a decent drink. I really hope. And so oftentimes couples have... Way more planned than a decent drink in an open bar. They're they're really going to, you know, hopefully wow their guests with amazing entertainment or, uh, you know, surprises where they're sending hangover kits to their room and and little things like that. I mean, there's so many opportunities for for the couple to wow their guests for wedding planners to upsell different things um, for entertainers to, you know, not just come for the wedding event for them to have entertainment at the rehearsal dinner or, you know, at the pool party, whatever the case may be. There's just, there's so much opportunity for every single vendor. It's not just the planner. It's not just the hotel. There's, there's opportunity across the board for like we talked about before the cinematographer, the photographer to get, additional days on the ground
0: yeah so think bigger you know think get yeah. get outside the box of the ballroom and and the one day and start looking at this as a true destination experience that last several days for more people than just a couple that are getting married you have the opportunity to do so much more Uh, tell me Jennifer what you know what kind of time frame are people looking at to you know uh, from uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna book my 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 wedding date and uh you know how many months out is that do they do they do they start planning their wedding
1: well it's honestly because of the pandemic this has gone sideways right so Mm. we had people that had planned on getting married in April of 2020 who had to postpone three times and so there's still some residual stuff going on post pandemic. I don't know that we can really call it. Can we call it post pandemic? I don't know. I feel I like we're in it, but
0: yeah, we're we're going like the we're through the darkest times of the pandemic.
1: At least the rest- the gathering restrictions in most places have seriously lifted. That's that's. Honestly, the, that was the biggest thing holding up destination or weddings at all. It doesn't matter if it's a destination wedding or a hometown wedding. Gathering restrictions were the problem. Um, so now what we're seeing is if someone's like, I don't want to wait any longer. I just got engaged. I thought I was going to get engaged a year ago. Now I'm just getting engaged. I want to plan it right away. If there's a date, if there's dates available and vendors available, like good luck at this point in 2022, getting anything. I mean, we're kind of coming to the end of the year, but so we're seeing anywhere from three months for the people that are just sick to death of waiting and they'll take what they can get to 18 months. We're seeing a lot of people already. I'm talking to venues that are like, we are selling in a 2024. Uh, I talked to a photographer last week. He's like, my 2023 dates, I have two left, and so you know we're we are seeing a longer lead time for sure now that we're post-ish pandemic. we call it mm-hmm. that? Let's say post-ish pandemic.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. well, and that and does that fit more in with the timeline pre-pandemic of how long people were looking to book their their weddings?
1: Yeah. I mean, again, it just depends on the couple. It depends on the destination, too, that they're looking to go to.
0: Okay. Uh, Tell me more about that.
1: Yeah. So I feel like domestically, a lot of stuff is really, really filled up. and you know there's certain destinations like New Zealand that just lifted a lot of their restrictions and so now that things are opening people might be like let's go and so because of that they're they've got a 3 month lead time before the pandemic i would say it was really between 3 and 12 months and the 18 month thing i think is that's that's new that's new for sure
0: And that, and so I I think, you know, last report that I read from not wedding wire, whatever research you want to go to was something like 14 months was kind of average between, I got a ring on my finger, we're getting married and I'm doing the wedding date. So uh, that's actually interesting to me. I would have thought that destination weddings might've been a little bit further out, but it sounds like they're actually a little bit, I wouldn't say last minute, but they're shorter notice or shorter gap between we're engaged and we're getting married.
1: Yeah. And I also think it depends on the level of spend. It depends on uh, how big the group is. If you are wanting every single thing, you want you know the Pinterest catalog thrown at this wedding and you've got all the money to do it, typically we're seeing longer lead times. So and
0: that I, would make sense. That's that's pretty typical of, of a luxury wedding where they, they want to give themselves time to plan. They want to make sure they get the right vendors. Right. And th- they, they have a real strong sense of what they want. They're going to book... 15, yes. 18 months out.
1: And because the guest experience is important to these couples, they don't want to give their their friends and family no time to prepare for their destination wedding. If you're only giving someone three months and they've, you know, the people that are attending have kids in school or, you know, those kinds of things, it, it's it's good form to give people a long lead time when you're doing a destination wedding, especially if it's to a place like Europe or outside of the country and there's more effort on everyone's part to get there. If it's a drive market wedding, let's say you're going from, you know, L.A. to Palm Springs or Phoenix to Sedona or something along those lines, those usually it's, it's OK if you give someone three months notice, that's that's not a problem because they're just jumping in their car and, and going away for like a long weekend.
0: Mm-hmm. So they just got engaged the weddings three months to 12 months out maybe 18 on the on the outside. Where are couples who are planning destination weddings? where are they getting their information? what's you know like what are they what kind of resources are they tapping into? who do they rely on you know how, how big of a role is the internet I I'm, and, and I'm I'm kind of asking this question because, I want to know where the people who are listening to this episode, where should they spend their time creating content? Is it referrals? Is it venues and planners? Is it magazines? Is it blogs? Is it Pinterest? Is it, you know, you know, what some, some other thing? Where are couples getting their information?
1: You're going to hate my
0: answer. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm open. I am, I am ambivalent to whatever answer you give.
1: So it's kind of all of it. I hate that answer. I wish there was a silver bullet, Sam. I do. I Trust me. If there was one, I'd be using it. But really, it depends on where the couple is at in their planning. There's different stages, right? So at the very beginning, these couples are taking a drink out of a fire hose. I mean, they're going on the internet, they're Googling things. Um, they are jumping on social media. They're trying to align themselves which, with which blogs and websites they're gonna follow or influencers that they're gonna follow. Um, they're start. They're basically in that information gather stage. And they're also trying to figure out their style, where they wanna go. If they even want a destination wedding. So some of them may say, Well, I think I want a destination wedding and I think I want tropical. So they're at that stage. And then the further they get in their planning, now they know they want, you know, Cancun and they want this specific resort, that kind of thing. So it kind of depends on where they're at and they're planning they're even listening to podcasts there's a lot of people that if they have a long commute they're sick to death of like the spotify commercials because they're too cheap to get a subscription like me i'd like have a (laughs) fundamental problem with having to buy a subscription to one more thing i just can't do it and i love music you'd think that i'd have like i'd be the first one in line for it but they're listening to podcasts so They want to hear the experts talk about different things. And so it's helpful to create evergreen content where if they're at the very beginning of their planning, is a destination even, destination wedding even right for you? Or what are the 10 pros to a destination wedding? Like content like that can be really helpful. Um, And then you have to look at the next stage of the planning. Now they are closer down to getting down the aisle. Maybe they've found the planner that they really, because they did some searches on social media or they found somebody, uh, they perhaps read an article and this person was listed as an expert. The planner then becomes a huge, huge, huge integral part of the information gathering. Like they literally, I always give this analogy. They take the Cheesecake Factory menu which you've been to a Cheesecake Factory menu. It's a it's a spiral.
0: I've never been. been, my brother worked at one. I've heard it used a lot in examples. I know what you're talking about, but for the record, I've never been in one.
1: It's literally a spiral bound notebook of menu items. So you're like page, you know, 75 is what I want. You know, so it's it takes a while to get through their menu. The planner takes that, let's pretend that's the number of vendors you're looking at. You don't even know, like as a a couple, who you're going to choose. And so the planner, by talking to you, learning your budget, learning your style, learning the way you interact with other humans, they're going to take that Cheesecake Factory menu and they're going to pare it down to an In-N-Out burger menu. And then kind of give you those options. So they are the ones that really pare down that information from the taking a drink out of a fire hose to a drip, right? And so they're super, super integral. And photographers can also play a very important role sometimes they find the photographer before they find the planner. Sometimes they find the vendor before they, or venue before they find the planner. Um, And so oftentimes we find that other businesses can be really helpful in referring one another. Referrals are huge. One thing that you can kind of never beat is the crowdsourcing from people who've already done a destination wedding. Oftentimes, let's say, you know, Brad and Max, they want to do a destination wedding and they just attended one and they're going to call those friends and say, hey, help us out. So that can be really important, too. So if their friends had a really terrible experience with a certain vendor or a certain, you know, they they've now been through it. So they know um, that can either really help you in your business or hurt you in your business, depending on what kind of experience those people had. So crowdsourcing can be huge. Um, and obviously the Internet. Pinterest, I heard your um, amazing podcast with Carolina. Oh, she's great. She's great. She's She's so great. And I love her passion for Pinterest because I have a passion for Pinterest as well. It's one of the only social media sites or the only that drives traffic directly to your website. You have to use it like a search engine, right? And so building content on Pinterest is only going to help you. A lot of couples, even if they have extremely large budgets, are using Pinterest to some degree. So it's important to have a presence there. Um, I don't know how I feel about TikTok quite yet. Come back in like six months and I'll tell you, we have a TikTok presence there's things I love about it. There's things that I absolutely cannot stand about TikTok. Usually it's cuz I get on there and I, I feel like the sucking sound and then the next thing I know it's been like 20 minutes and I'm like where did
0: 20 minutes just go? I just That's I think that's the noise that my that I hear from my daughter's room. She's 14. <laughs> I, I I thought I heard it last night at 2:30 in the morning. I'm pretty sure now no. I know what it is.
1: Oh no. I'm behind <laughs> you. I got a I got a 6 and an 11-year-old and they're get already ready. They're already ready.
0: get ready. Well, I, so, okay. So, so I love that. I do love the answer, Jennifer. I really do. I think it's, and I think, cause I think it's spot on. There's no silver bullet. There's no one thing that you have to do. And that's something that I think you and I have both heard. It's like, if you really want to book more or get more inquiries from, you know, destination events, you got to do this one thing and it's not, you have to do these nine things and and you've got to make sure that you put out almost like a web where, where people can, you know, run into you and your business and your services in different areas. Um, I do love the idea of, pinterest i think that that's great um because that's where people go to dream it's yeah. all about you know what's going on in the future and uh i like the idea of evergreen blog posts i think mm-hmm. that's super important listicles can be really helpful oh um, yeah
1: how to is huge they want to be educated because they don't know what they don't know right so if right. you got to find like certain pain points that they have right so let's say like right now what's really relevant is the fact that it costs an arm and a leg to travel anywhere it's Mm -hmm. expensive it's really expensive right now and so as let's say a travel agent to to do something you know what are the best ways to to uh build in value for your guest travel or what's the what are the best um like different apps like hopper that you can build in travel alerts so people get the best price for their flights like things that you find that pain point that that couple is dealing with and you build content around that because they're Googling those things.
0: And and I'm going to say this until I'm blue in the face. SEO is important for every single segment in the wedding industry. It's not for just mass market or budget clients, people who have millions of dollars in the bank use Google too. And that means that they are looking for answers to questions. And if you have Something that answers that question, Google is going to find it, and they're going to put it in front of you and oftentimes that is the thing that people are going to get down the rabbit hole with and 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 if you can continue to provide valuable content on your website uh, then then you could be a go to resource early in the decision making process they may not book you right away they may they may wait until they You know get a date get a venue get a plan or whatever it may be but at some point you you will likely to have a better chance of getting booked than you know having not had that opportunity to be in front of them that early
1: right and i think too marketing right now is it's so many things like 15 20 years ago you put an ad in a wedding magazine and you had some real weddings shown You, you know you were getting bookings Now you've got to do 20 things in order to have that same impact. And I think it's frustrating. And I feel you, all of you entrepreneurs out there, because I deal with it myself, there's so much to be done in our businesses. And it gets to be overwhelming when you're like, I've got 20 things I logistically have to do for my clients. I don't have time to get on Pinterest right now. I don't. That's not going to happen. Like that's at the bottom of the list. And before you know it, it's been three months before, you know, since you've done anything and now you're like falling behind and you're seeing your competitor or other people that you look up to, you know, pinning stuff away. And it's like, how, how do they have the time to do that? And I will say what I typically do is, and I actually got this tip from a very dear friend of mine, Hermony Walton. And she said, when you have too much to do. It's almost like little sound bites. You write your to-do list and you figure out things that are going to take 5 minutes or 20 minutes or 10 minutes or an hour. And when you have 5 minutes between picking up the kids from school and and, you know, going grocery shopping or or, you know, sending off this proposal to a client and a Zoom call that you have scheduled. You've got 5 minutes or 10 minutes that's when you start crossing those things off mm-hmm. and then you get somewhere with it. Then it's like these, these little, you know, bite-sized pieces instead of feeling like you're constantly looking up the side of an insurmountable
0: to-do list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that approach. I like to make a list and put make to-do lists at the very top so I can get a quick win and cross that thing right off.
1: Yes. It's so satisfying to hear that. <laughs> it's like the it best thing in the world. It is. Yeah.
0: So, so lots of things to do for the marketing, and I and I I really am glad you brought that up because it, you know there's so much given to you know reels and TikTok right now. I feel like there's diminishing returns at some point. There's only so much. The goal of marketing is not to win the algorithm. That's no, not the goal of never,
1: marketing. You'll never win it. That's the problem. You'll, you'll never win it. And,
0: and the thing is, I think you've got to go back through. And and recognize that the goal of marketing is to get people to go to your website, and yes. there are lots of different ways to do that. It, just like the goal of marketing pre-internet was to get them to go to your storefront, well, you're in, your your website is your online storefront, and so that's still the same goal. It's just changed, you know, the the platform. Whether instead of brick and mortar, it's now online. And and as you go through and you think about it, you know, there are two different ways to to share information. Uh, and this is to use your metaphor of drinking from a fire hose. Nobody wants to drink from the fire hose, and and frankly. The fire hose is not a good way to do marketing when when you're really trying to use more of a sprinkler approach, which is right. you want to you know you want to put a little bit of information out in a lot of different areas and you want to see what works. Especially if you're just starting to get into the destination market, you don't know if one thing is going to be better for your clients than another, and so it's good to to throw kind of a lot of different options out there, see what's working. And right. then you can double down on the top three to five sources of business for your bookings, not your inquiries, but your bookings, which is a really important distinction. So I think that's great advice, Jennifer, on the marketing side. You know, it sucks. It's hard. It's challenging, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it's the right thing to do. It's the yeah. right thing to do to make sure that you are putting a variety of, uh, you know, options for people to hear about you.
1: Well, and to kind of piggyback on what you're saying with, you know, putting your your content on a lot of places, there's so many different directories out there that you can be getting free exposure, right? If And so use all of those. Use them all. It's not going to hurt you. It's only going to help you. But when it comes to spending your money, you need to make sure that where you're spending your money, that you align with who is reading that particular blog, website, magazine, whatever the, listening to that podcast, whatever the case may be. You really want to make sure and and I would say even, I'd go a step further, and when you're talking to the advertising salesperson, say, hey, do you have another, you know, planner that has booked with you, that is, you know, got advertising with you that, that I can speak to. You know because the thing is there's so many times you know referrals are a big and references are a big deal and you don't want to go taking your marketing budget how big or how small it is and giving it to a place that for whatever reason their numbers are smoke and mirrors. I mean, there's a lot of BS out there. There really is. There's, a, there's so many different blogs and wedding websites that it can make your head spin. And so you really want to make sure, or conferences for that matter, you want to make sure that where you're placing your marketing dollars makes sense for the end result that you want to get.
0: That's uh, really good. I, and, and I want to highlight two things that you just brought up, this idea of professional networking as a marketing expense. And and also getting in blogs that are really, uh, carry a lot of domain authority and are Mm going to do a lot of the SEO work for you. Right. Um, You know, it may, it may not be the reason why they book you, but it may be like the first time that a couple is, uh, you know, made aware of your services. There's also a lot of social proof and being put onto a list on a, a, a site that has a lot of authority. And so, um, th- those are those are good things. Tap into the free stuff. And if you are going to spend your, your money uh, and, and your time and, and effort, uh, make sure that you're putting it into the right place. That's going to align with the kind of couples that uh, that, you know, that you, you have a chance to book.
1: Well, and branch outside of the wedding industry. There are I mean, go to The New York Times and, you know, call read their articles, subscribe to their to their platform and reach out to the writers of articles that align with. You know, the wedding industry or photography or event design, whatever the case may be, reach out to those writers and connect with them and get listed as an expert. I mean, talk about authoritative websites that are going to help you in SEO. New York Times, Wall Street Journal. I mean, all of those, Mm -hmm. not only is there a notoriety to it, it shows your clients that you're big enough to be uh, mentioned on a site like that. So don't just think local blog Think big, think big. I think that should be the title of this podcast. Think,
0: big. <laughs> <laughs> think big. I like it because <laughs> because it, it's all it's global. That's the beauty of destination. You, you know, you you can go all over the world. It's not just next door. Mm-mm. Yeah. Tell me when you're going through and thinking about destination wedding couples. How are they hiring their vendors? And I know obviously it's you know not the same for for every every couple and every. Uh, every destination, but which ones are, which vendor categories are typically hired, you know, from the U S and brought over to Europe or Mexico or, or Caribbean and which ones are being sourced locally.
1: So typically it goes in this order. Ideally, I would say these are the top three that are hired. And I would say this is how, how they should be ideally hired in this order planner, venue photographer because and the planner first because if you this I've seen this happen so many times to so many couples and so many planners I can't even tell you where the couple will pick the venue first and then now the planner is totally pigeonholed they can't go anywhere else the, the couple's already signed with the venue they've already got a date And sometimes planners like I don't love that venue for the following reasons. You know, they they have they're too restrictive, or the things that this couple wants to do, maybe that venue isn't a great fit for that. So if if there are ever couples listening to this podcast, definitely. Pick your planner first. Plus, they know the venues typically. They know which ones are going to be the best fit for you or they'll find out if they are because that's part of their job, right? And then obviously the photographer, I feel like, is usually within the top three. When it comes to what vendors are kind of brought over from the U.S. to other destinations, regardless of where it is, um, it depends on the location and it depends on the level of spend. So, typically, the higher the budget, the more they're bringing from the United States. They're bringing their stylist, they're bringing their hair and makeup person, they're bringing entertainment, their planner, their visual team, you know, photographer and videographer, their event designer. Um, locally sourced is typically what, from a logistics standpoint, makes the most sense. So, event rentals. Trying to ship giant tables is going to be tough, right? The florist, making sure that the florist is uh, local is oftentimes very helpful. Lighting and sound is another one. Hair and makeup, like I said before, it depends on the level of spend. Some people, and, and it depends on the location. If there's a ton of talent that's right there, they're more likely to use something, use local vendors.
0: I want to go back to this thing with the planners and the venues because I think that that I want to dig into that a little bit more because when I think about the you know the referral advice that I would typically give to a wedding professional is to go upstream and to get to whoever is at the, the headwaters, the source of um, you know making decisions with a couple. Uh, right. Often, you know, oftentimes that that can be the planner. Uh, sometimes that's the venue. If you're a videographer, it could be the photographer. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and so on. And so, you know, I, obviously the in the luxury market, typically everybody in, is after the planner. And mm-hmm. you, know, you and I have spent a lot of time at conferences like Engage, and I, I I think I actually wrote a newsletter once, like you know, leave the planners alone. Oh my god. <laughs> because Working. because they're because they're constantly they're constantly being hit on uh to yes. get on the the vendor list um and i I've always recognized that venues having been a venue guy uh mm-hmm. the venues are really kind of an underutilized under leverage under under sourced uh supply of of yes. referrals obviously it would be nice for destination weddings to have a planner be reached out to first for all the reasons that you said right uh, especially with regards to the budget and couples don't know that mistake but you know my my hunches and i i'm i'm i you can confirm or 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 tell me i'm totally wrong is that a lot of couples are making that mistake and actually are booking the venue first because it's a destination wedding so you know it, Uh, You know, I have this fantasy in my head of like what a couple goes through, which is that they go on vacation somewhere. They have a really great time. You know, they maybe they have a really wonderful experience. And uh, and they're like, you know, what we should do our wedding here. And so then then they they're they're like, they do some research on it and they figure out if it'll work or won't. But it gets them going and they, they think, uh, I, I'm gonna, p- we're gonna pick the location, whether it's the, the country or the region or the town. And then they, then they finally decide on a venue and they get a date on the books and they're like, we got that taken care of. Now let's now let's plan our wedding. Oh, what did we just do? (laughs) Why why did we not bring a planner in earlier? So, you know, do you think that a lot of people are bringing a planner in or do you think that a lot of people are picking the venue and then trying to figure it out from there?
1: I think they're picking the venue and trying to figure it out from there. And okay, it's interesting because because the analogy you just used of like this couple on vacation or, you know, they get engaged. And so they have like this sentimental tie to this one destination or this one particular property. And they're like, let's get married here. That's exactly the scenario I was going to use. Cause that happens. Oh, good.
0: So often. Like, I, I <laughs> thought that was going to be, I thought that was going to be completely wrong.
1: No, <laughs> so it happens. It happens very, very often. I think now, Maybe it's happening maybe a little less than it was before, partly because there's such a push for social media and there's such a push for, you know, a lot of photographers have their work out there. And, you know, maybe someone who's thinking they might get engaged, they're just thinking this. They're like, oh, let me let me look at. Uh, you know, let me look at ideas of what, you know, they put the cart before the horse sort of, and so they start looking through social media and all of a sudden they find a photographer they just fall madly in love with. And they're like, this is it when it happens, this is who I'm going to use. So that that's happening more and more. I think because of social media, there's such a, there's an influence there. And, but that scenario of the couple finding the venue and doing everything else that happens so much. Yeah.
0: Well, so a, a couple of different things. I'm, I'm glad that kind of my, you know, this little fantasy that I have, of how it all plays out is somewhat realistic. Uh, it, the, there's a couple of things that I, I want to highlight then. Uh, number one um, is that you've really got to focus on where the trends are for upcoming travel destinations. So like, yeah. if you want to know where weddings are going to be taking place in 2024, you got to read Condé Nast and travel and leisure right yep. now. They'll okay. tell you where the, the up and coming hotspots are that nobody's talking about. Yep. And then all those people end up going there for their 2023 yep. vacations and they have that amazing experience. Maybe he pops the question while they're there. And then they, they're like, we should totally do the wedding here and show this place off to all of our friends and family. And then they go back and they book their wedding for 2024. Yeah. Th- this, was, this was a big thing. And I saw a lot of photographers, especially the smart ones. I could see this. Several years ago, for instance, Portugal was the hotspot, right? It kind of still is, but it was the alternative to Italy and Greece and Spain. It was like, oh, we're going to do this new area that's got the Algarve Mm -hmm. coast. And so you saw some of the best photographers in the world going over and hosting workshops there and doing fashion shoots there with with big uh, design houses and, and creating content. And then sure enough, what happens when people are getting engaged and looking for photographers who oftentimes are the one providing the images. They now have those hashtags or those blog posts with, with, with the SEO driven up on it. And so that, that's a, that's, that's just a little hack there. If you're looking like, how do I create content in a place where I've never you know done a wedding? You go to the places that are going to be trends for the wedding industry two years from now, by looking at what's currently on trend in the magazines. And that's, that's just a, a simple, easy hack. I think the other thing that I want to highlight is that while it's good to pursue the planner approach for getting referrals, if you want to get more leads from qualified buyers. Don't discount the venues, the no. venues yeah. in, in, in destinations are oftentimes will be doing, you know, 50, a hundred events a year. Whereas if you reach out to a planner, they might be doing one or two or five events right. in that destination. And so uh, not only are they being booked first, but they have a higher volume of uh, a business going through th- their, their doors. And so um, you know, planners, give them a break for a little while, try and reach out to try and reach out to some venues. Uh, yeah. if, you, if you have a camera or, or, you know, that you do photo or video with, uh, you have such an easy way in of just visiting the place and asking if you can walk the grounds and then send them a bunch of, you know, unlimited use rights for images that you took and put a blog post up and promote their business for them, And, you know, you probably won't have much of a hard time getting on their vendor list.
1: Just don't say that to commercial photographers who get paid thousands and thousands of dollars to take those same photos. Because they're different
0: images. <laughs> they are, different images. They
1: are. different images. they're different
0: images. They're different images. They can even be iPhone images. It doesn't. Yeah. It's, just, it's just you know, here, as a venue, what I can tell you is that um, it's really hard to get images of your of your venue. And mm-hmm. you know, having worked at a resort, uh, more images the better. And. Oh, for sure right sure. and and it's it's expensive to 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 get uh photos and oftentimes challenging to get them because you got to hire a commercial photographer so yeah. even just snaps from your from your phone can be very very helpful while walking around the property they can use them on social media um you know they're they're super useful it's a good foot in the door and it just shows you're committed to helping them out
1: Absolutely. I mean, venues have a lot of pull when it comes to like, you know, to your point, they're working, they're doing hundreds and hundreds of events. And so they also see the teams that work well together and the teams that don't. And so they sometimes they'd rather work with, with vendors and professionals that are going to make them look good. Right. So they oftentimes for the couple have a very great list of curated vendors that they can just hand over on a silver platter.
0: hmm. So as you're going through and thinking about some of these up and coming places to uh, you know to go and visit and create content or connections with, are there any that you see if you had a crystal ball coming out of uh, the the mobbing of uh, Europe right now, especially <laughs> um, what, what you know 2023 2024? What do you see as popular destination ben, you know, locations? Are we are we still in? you know, kind of France and Italy and and Greece and the Caribbean, or are are there other countries or other regions that you see kind of on the, on the frontier that, that new places are going to, or new people are going to look for?
1: So because the dollar's strong right now, it oh, it does open up a lot of countries. Honestly, you're going to get you know almost an, a dollar for dollar situation uh, in in certain countries where before you weren't, and so that's that's a major benefit. Um, so obviously the the kind of the mainstay destinations that are have been and still are relevant are, you know, Hawaii, Mexico. Those are probably the two most popular uh, tropical destinations. Mexico has a ton of amazing vendors. So if you booked a, a wedding in Mexico 15 years ago, you'd be paying a lot less than you are now, but the talent and the resources there are so much better than they were 15 years ago. So there's a reason for that increase in cost. It's still a better value than Connecticut or something along those lines um, that you know are kind of known for being expensive, um, you know, Italy, Greece, always going to be, have been, still are relevant. Uh, France has been, still is relevant, um, and then currently kind of having a moment obviously London because of, you know, and, and the UK in general, because of, you know, the queen and now the king, it's so crazy to think of him as a king. But anyway, well, that's a whole nother podcast to, to chat about. But um, yeah, so anytime you see something that's kind of newsworthy, people kind of flock to that destination, right? So um, right now, Nashville is also having a moment, especially for bachelor and bachelorette parties really great for photographers to travel along with those plus you'll probably have a lot of fun uh new york state is having a moment like i'm seeing a ton of people traveling there just for long weekends and you know like you said that's exactly what happens when you see these the the places that the the travel magazines are are discussing you got to be careful though cuz sometimes it's based on who's advertising so don't always trust that just cuz you see it doesn't mean it's actually a thing oh i don't
0: i don't <laughs> i don't necessarily think that it's actually the hot spot i just know that other people are reading it <laughs> oh
1: yeah exactly other people are reading it and therefore so i feel like will be in 2023 2024 spain is Definitely. I see it everywhere on travel magazines and there, you know, there's a lot of influencers going there. Portugal is another one you you already mentioned. Um, and then possibly New Zealand. They've released or uh, gotten rid of a lot of restrictions. So that's another one where when people can't go somewhere, it makes them want to go there. Right. Mm-hmm, so yeah. New Zealand is another big one
0: okay yeah and i wonder if uh, you know i don't know but you know the lord of the rings uh, you know was photo i think was shot there and that was a huge i fell in love with new zealand based off of that 20 plus years ago and and i find like sometimes movies right where it was uh, iceland and uh you know certain islands in the, uh you know in the north of uh, the atlantic when game of thrones was being uh filmed in those areas uh that that can be uh, a big influence on things
1: well now you have two new shows, too. We've got the one on Amazon that's the Lord of the Rings. That's like, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And now you've got the House of Dragons, which oh, so good. So good. Anyway, I love so, it. So, so when you see that, it's going to bring it all back again.
0: Right, that's, that's- right. And, and so, but that's the thing, as silly as it is, it's just people are picking their, uh, it's in many ways, it's called availability bias. And so this is a concept that was coined by behavioral economics uh, uh, gurus um, you know, uh, uh, 30, 40 years ago. And uh, when you go through and you think about what, what's popular, what people prefer is what they see most. And mm-hmm. so if they're seeing it in the media, if they're hearing about it in the news, if they're reading about it in travel magazines, if their friends are going there, if they yeah. see the influencers that they follow, they then are are like, Oh, that looks cool. That looks like something that I prefer as well, because it's right there in front of me. And, and that's, that's one of the, it may not be the best location. It may be filled with all sorts of pitfalls and planning the destination wedding, but because they're aware of it, they now like (laughs) it and they're now going to go there.
1: Exactly. And you also have to think about the generation that we're talking to. These people could give a rip about things. They want to travel. They want to experience the world. That is far more important to them. I mean, obviously, some of them are going to be like, I'm going to spend, you know, hundreds of dollars on or thousands of dollars on this particular bag. But they're also going to, you know, experience the travel on top of it. And to them, if they had a choice between the two, they're going to take the trip.
0: Mm hmm. And that's a that's a trend that I think started, you know, 10, 15 years ago and has really been, um, you know, uh, uh, pent up by the pandemic. And now yes. it's like the floodgates are open. (laughs) everybody wants to go out. That's we actually postponed a lot of our travel. Our family did this year and we're putting off till next year because it was, there was so much travel. It was crazy uh, chaos, crazy expensive. Uh, And uh, you know, Katie and I, this time last year, we spent a month in Italy and there we thought we we were in Florence for four days. I've been there five or six times. We were in Florence for four days. This time we saw maybe 10 Americans while we were there. I mean, it was, it was empty, but what you see now is a doubling of the normal, Travel that Americans are doing because they can finally leave their country in relative safety. So, um, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I want to go back to Mexico real quick, uh, just mm-hmm. to get your thoughts. You know, I, Cabo seems like it's definitely been on the up for what seems like years, but I noticed that there's a lot of really big hotels that are opening up yes. in, in Cabo. Uh, I think Amon is or, or just opened one up or is opening one up soon. There are some other ones, uh, that have really, uh, uh, decided to put a flag in the ground there would you see that still as a destination to focus on and what are some what are two others that you would see in Mexico that are kind of hot spots or or might be in the future
1: so Cabo i mean they had 18 luxury properties open within a span of five years. I mean, so yes, definitely Cabo is relevant. Cabo is not going anywhere. Um, it's really easy to get into. There's so much talent in the area, so it's very easy for couples to plan weddings. Um, and and quite honestly, it's it's a premium. I mean, it to me, I love Cabo. I it's one of my favorite destinations in Mexico. But, and it's, I feel like it's very different than some of the other ones. I mean, just because it's so desert landscape and, you know, there's just, there's so much luxury there that it really transports you in a way that some of the other Mexican destinations, they feel a little bit more on the nose. Mm -hmm. Um, Tulum's been having a moment for a while. I feel like for you and me, it may feel a little tired, but for the wedding couple, they're like, it's. It's brand new on the scene to them. Like there, it's fresh for them. So Tulum's another one to look at. Zihuatanejo is another one I would suggest people kind of, you know, start poking their head at and and looking at. So those, I would say, those three are are definitely very relevant right now.
0: San Miguel de Allende is uh, one of well, the yes. more popular destinations. I think it's been travel and leisure number one city for however many years running now Uh, is that still you know in in the light right now is that still a a sought-after destination
1: San Miguel is definitely a sought-after destination I think it's oftentimes what I'm seeing is if people really want that oceanfront experience they'll do one a different location in Mexico and then travel to San Miguel for perhaps their their honeymoon or um you know just a, a pre or post trip I feel like people are still it's very very popular it's so beautiful oh my goodness architecture is just gorgeous it's such a it's such an amazing destination
0: you know a, a great list and i love the the insights on uh you know the uh, how how great cabo is um I, I you know it's never really rang true for me but i know a lot of people love it especially people in los angeles tend to love it because it's just like a two and a half you know hour flight or something from there um
1: the first time i went there i was like. It's like Tucson with a beach. I don't get it, you know.
0: I felt I felt the same way. I felt the same way.
1: And then I spent time there and I I went to several of the different properties and I was like, "Okay, I get it now. It's pretty it's pretty spectacular, for sure."
0: You know, one of the here's another tip that uh that I have for people who are listening that are looking for additional places or even more specific locations within some of the countries that you mentioned is to go to, again, Travel and Leisure and Condé Nast are great resources from this because I think, frankly, they're the ideal client for many people who are yes. l- looking to do destination weddings. A- and, and what I would do is I would go through and I would look at the annual issues for, like, the hot list. Or, mm-hmm. or the reader's favorites. And and you can, you know, there's so much power in social proof. You can see right. what's already popular and you can see what other people who are aspirational luxury travelers are looking at and identify very specific locations that may not yet be on the radar. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you can you can find a hot list uh, uh, through either of those. Um, one of the, the places that I love to look at uh, for uh, destination travel is uh, uh, Johansson's, which is mm-hmm. the uh, hotel recommendation list from Condé Nast. That is a little notch below the the typical, you know, five star properties. They're also a little bit more off the beaten path and uh, mom and pop or boutique operated. And so, I think that there are some uh, some places that you can find on those types of lists that are that diamond in the rough that maybe some people who are on the, you know, on that more interested in being a pioneer than a settler when it comes to picking a destination. The
1: other one I would add to that list is afar. They have mm. really great curated lists for, you know, different, like best beaches and places, you know, un, kind of um, best kept secrets of, places people haven't been, you know, off the beaten path or whatever. So afar is definitely one that I use quite often.
0: I, I think that's great. I, I I love that. And I think as you're, as, if you're listening to this and you're going through and you're thinking about how do I, how do I, you know, focus the content that I'm creating, there's a lot of opportunity out there, but I think you've got to look at it like uh, you're advertising with keywords, and you want to make sure that there's high interest but low competition. Like that's right. the that's the, the 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 double whammy that you're looking for, uh, because it means that you're going to be a, a big fish in a small pond of content, and and so definitely focus on those. It's hard to you know it's it's hard to get your foot in the door in a well-known tra- travel destination or de- wedding destination like Cabo it's yeah. a good one but competition is high and right. so you know you may focus on Merida instead because not very many people have heard of that but it's just a little bit north of Cancun and it's kind of a trendy hot spot under the radar for the last few years so you know, just think about uh, think about different options. You don't have to do what everybody else is doing. In fact, sometimes it could be good to go a different way, maybe not the opposite way, but a little bit of a different way. And you'll be able to get your foot in the door and, and carve out a little niche for yourself and create some content that will draw in future business.
1: Well, and that's really the long game, too, if you think about it, because if some of these are, you know, trending for some of the travel pubs, but not yet for weddings, and you're starting to to utilize those, you know, the SEO and keywords and whatnot, you may it may take a little while to actually see traction there. And and in that while you're in that in-between time, I mean one of the things that I would say, because a lot of people are like, Well, how do I get into Destination One? is like you've got you've got a two words. Go there. You have to go there. Like if you haven't been there, how can you sell it to somebody else? You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: love that and i and i was just going to ask as we kind of wrap this up like you know what what are it what's you know your top piece of advice for somebody who's looking to get their foot in the door with destination or somebody who's done a little bit of destination and now has the destination wedding bug and want they want to do more work there yeah. you know what's what's the thing that you think is going to help them make that that next big move to add more weddings to their portfolio with it
1: well, I feel like you really have to identify like you were saying before what destinations those are because depending on if you're a photographer, if you're a planner, a photographer could really go anywhere. It doesn't it doesn't matter, but if they want to hone in on a specific destination, they want they themselves want to go there, then they they need to go there. They need to spend time in that destination creating content, right? So going and doing site visits is really helpful going to these hotels and walking around the properties and understanding you know what they have to offer as a planner that's really really important um and just connecting with the local vendors there understanding who you would recommend and oftentimes if you take the time to invest in them they're going to take the time to invest back in you and they're going to feel like there's this authentic relationship there um so i would say you could also always go the photo shoot route um to be honest with you right now, right this moment, that's tough because to ask an event rental company to halt, you know, production on whatever they're doing for all of their weddings that they're already understaffed for to give you free event rentals for your photo shoot that you're going to get credit for cuz you're, you know, going to put it on your website or whatever is it's a hard sell. Um, A lot of these companies are understaffed right now. And so photo shoots are tough. You may want to do something that's a lot smaller scale, but really beautifully done. Um, And so photo shoots are a great way to kind of get your foot in the door, really logistically plan something that's, uh, you know, even though it's not a real wedding, oftentimes photo shoots, there's there's crossover as to how they work and operate, right? So I feel like if you're going to do something that can be helpful. You can also, and I, I say this with I say this with love. If you're going to go on a fam trip, which is short for familiarization for those of you that don't know what a fam trip is, so oftentimes a resort will invite groups of people, wedding planners, media, to come to their resort to experience it for a period of time so that they can turn around and sell it to their clients. It's a great marketing tool. If and only if it's done correctly, Uh, what I see time and time again in our industry, and it makes me want to scream and I get it. I understand we all want to go on vacation with our friends to some fabulous resort and, you know, be wine and dined for a few days. But if you have no client list and no desire or interest in selling that specific hotel, you are literally wasting that hotel's marketing dollars because they're spending money to get you there, to wine and dine you for that period of time. So I know it's tempting if you've been invited on a fam trip, but if you are not fit for that resort, let somebody else go that is because they need a return on their investment. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to properties that are like, fam trips don't work. And then I'm like, well, who did you invite? And then they tell me and I'm like, ooh, yeah, those are all people that do nothing but that, you know, a totally different region or whatever. And they have no plans to expand. They have no clients that are fit for your particular resort. So fam trips, they're a great way to get there and to get there in a really budget friendly manner. Um, but only do them if you really have plans or clients that you know you can book at that particular property.
0: I think that's good advice. I, I've had the same experience both on the hotel side and working with Todd Events as a as you know as somebody in, in the planning and design field. It's it, it's never done well. It's rarely done well. Uh, it,
1: and it uh, can be. I've been on some that are done perfectly, and you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, they have the exact right list of people here, like that has happened. And I've been to some that I'm like, oh my goodness. Like you might as well have left $50,000 on fire. Like (laughs) you're not getting any return on that investment because of who's there. And I don't mean that as a dig on anyone, not at all. But like, hear what I'm saying. It's like, if, if you are trusted, like you're trusting someone else with your marketing dollars, it kind of goes the same way. These hotels are kind of trusting you with their marketing dollars in a lot of ways.
0: If you're not a planner and you're looking at uh, just a follow, because we do have a lot of photographers and videographers, uh, especially who listen to this podcast, uh, and and you you want to go there, just go there mm-hmm. and bring your camera and yes. and and create content. You don't really need to do a lot, like you said. Styled shoots are you know a lot of work. They can be over the top and. Frankly, you know, there are so many more things you can do. Remember that the couple that's going to get married, there, bringing it kind of back to where we started. They're not going there just for the wedding. They're going there for the experience. And yes. so if you can create content that shows the kinds of experiences that a couple can have there with their friends and family and loved ones, then that's what's going to really excite them. Y- yes, the decor the, the is important. And, and all the the normal traditions of a of a wedding are important, but they also want to know what can you do when you get there? I mean, I worked at a regional destination. You know, I was a lodging director. We sold hotel rooms. I wanted heads in beds, but people didn't come up to the resort to sleep in their bed. They came up to the resort to use as base camp to explore and go whale watching and sea kayaking, and go to the lavender farm and yeah. all the other things that they did while they were on vacation. So, you know, when you're looking at, at, at how can I create content? First of all, I love it. Go there practice it out, see what it's like to travel there. Walk around, get the feel, get the vibe, be able to say, I've been there firsthand and I can tell you what it's like. It's a really kick ass place. Like you got to be able to do that before you can say, I can photograph your wedding or film your wedding or plan your wedding or whatever it might be. So yeah. do all of that. And while you're there, bring a camera, create some content, make sure that you've got, uh, you know, an opportunity to showcase your perspective on what things can be like if they were to, to host a wedding. And, and hopefully you'll, you'll end up getting something and having some content that actually is wedding related but until then there's so much that you can do that that doesn't involve actually working at a wedding you can still create a lot of content
1: well and to me I look at it as your marketing dollars like you're investing in your business with marketing dollars and what a better way like to me, like that's the best kind of marketing you get to go to this fabulous destination shoot a bunch of content go on a bunch of cool excursions and write it off as a business expense Like. How, how genius is that like sign me up for that kind of marketing because I'm all for it
0: <laughs> that's great Jennifer thank you so much I feel like we've got a really good conversation started on uh, you know how to look at destination wedding buyers uh, you know what they go through and how they think and the ways that they make decisions and we've talked about uh, ways to pick different markets to look at and how to create content uh, around that. Uh, If people wanted to learn more from you, obviously, you've got such a wealth of experience and uh, insights. Where can they find uh, more of your perspective and and get some information from you on Destination Weddings?
1: So our website, it's just destinationido.com. We have a podcast that is we're recording season three right now. So anywhere you listen to podcasts, just search destination I do. And then our social media handle is just at destination I do. So you can also DM us. I love it when people email, because honestly we get so many DMs from couples that have questions. And so it gets overwhelming very, very quickly. So if you have like a business question or you wanna learn more about, you know, how to submit one of your events, Definitely email us info at destination. do.com is the best way and just put like urgent. I listened to Sam's podcast and now I need your, Advice on this or whatever.
0: <laughs> I'll be there. Great. If, look, if you if you just heard that and you are not writing down the email address, you need to push pause on your phone <laughs> and you need to go and do that. Jennifer just gave you an invitation to reach out and you should take her up on it. Uh, you never know where things are going to go. Say yes and see what happens. That's kind of something that I think both of us, Jennifer, have lived our lives by and it's been very helpful for our careers. Definitely. Thanks so much. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Sam. It's been a pleasure.
0: Boom. That's it for this episode on own your business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know, I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through.